Welcome to Behind the DM Screen. I don't know, even know how things. Uh, now we got a, a cattail right in the. <laughs> the cat was saying, "Yes, I'm ready." Yes, the cat's oh. gonna go. Away, <laughs> oh, cat. All right, again. Professionals. Welcome to Behind the DM Screen from Tome Show. We are three DMs talking about our games, helping each other out. Mike, say hi. Hello. Sam, say hi. Hi. And I'm Jeff. Look. If you're going to roll dice, you're going to need precision. AwesomeDice.com has sharp edge dice for a fraction of the price of other such precision dice sellers. Chill out, my man. Oh, hello, Bard. Please, share your bardic inspiration about dice. Yeah, I've got bardic inspiration dice. Is this... Totally mellow cannabis theme set with smoky interior. Exclusively available at awesomedice.com. I see. Well, precision, bardic inspiration, or one of countless other unique dice sets. It seems you can get it all at the most awesome dice company on the internet, awesomedice.com. And don't forget to let him know. The Tome Show sent you, dudes. So, 15 minutes on the clock. Mike, tell Yo. us about your game. So I am running a whole... Boy, I've run a boatload of games, but I'm going to talk about my Eberron game because uh, I'm running my Eberron game tomorrow, and I'm, we're in new territory, so it'll be interesting to talk about. Uh, so in my Eberron game, it is highly... It is, is very much like a um, Raiders of the Lost Ark slash Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy Cold War era hunt for the old crazy powerful artifacts sort of game uh it was about a th- probably about half of it happened in sharn where they were uh chasing sort of you know chasing and conducting a bunch of espionage against a uh villain named Lido skull who is a sort of mercenary oni that has a- alliances with the droam and the dask the 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 sort of criminal organization arm of the droam uh, and the uh, Orum, who are like the you know secret society of super rich people, and he's been manipulating everybody in order to get a hold of the weapon of mourning. He wants he wants to get a he wants to get the weapon that caused the mourning, or make a new one of the weapon that caused the mourning. And I don't even know what he wants to do with it. Right? He told the Orum. The Orum kind of wanted him to get it because they thought it would be a really interesting, a stoic artifact for them to have. Uh, I, the Droam wants it because they want to become a nation state uh, that is ratified by the Treaty of, Treaty of Thronehold and think that having a weapon that powerful would let uh, would 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 convince them to, um, you know, they can force an alliance. Right. They can force a uh, they can force legitimacy. And um, but why Lido wants it is a different question or what he would do with it. So. The party spent a lot of time kind of figuring out the story and making alliances and doing doing interesting things and having adventures in Sharn. They eventually uh, got a skyship and Leto fled Sharn. And so they've been they were following Leto, but they ended up following one of Leto's spies, uh, somebody that he had hired. Uh, who was trying to find the third thing that they needed in order to make the weapon, which is the location of a city in the Mornland called Making, 
Uh, also, it, it now sits upon a thing called the Glass Plateau. And inside the city of Making is a particular building or construct or something called Claw Rift. And for some reason, Claw Rift is required in order to build the weapon, along with two other things, a book of very powerful ancient magic called the Toma Seer and a very large dragon shard. So uh, the characters have been the characters know that Leto is on his way to the city by using the magic of the drum that the, the, the drum are led by three hags known as the daughters of Sorakal. So he allied with them. They have been trying to find the location, but the characters needed to find a, a, a way to get there themselves. So they went to this old wrecked city called Eston, and there they found uh, a very powerful being known as Karshak, who is actually a warforged lightning rail. And Karshak is the only entity that knows the way to making and can get them to making by rail. Uh, Karshak it's, on, it's on rails, it is on rails. Yeah, but the rails in the <laughs> Mornland are weird. So it knows how to get there. But the rails in the Mornland are weird. And you can't just follow them to get there. Oh, okay. Right? Like, if you follow them, they don't lead there. And 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 yet, you know, so there's like a an extra dimensional nature to the rail, either now or even previously. Sure. Right? And it's the only reason that, that Karshak knows the way. The problem with Karshak is he'd rather die than go there. And he's more than happy. He blew up Eston on the way out of the city because he's like, I tired of that city and I'm never going back there. And he blew up the entire city behind them and killed hundreds and hundreds of people uh, just to prove a point to the characters, which is like, you know, I didn't even care about them at all. Look what I did to them. So if you piss me off, imagine what I'll do to you. Right. And so the characters were suitably like, hmm, we're inside the thing. It also is a supersonic train. So it goes really, really, really fast. You know, sound barrier is broken and kills everything along the track that that it happens to be nearby. So they are roaring along. They 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 made it. They actually, you know, nailed a diplomacy check and said, you are more than just a weapon. You are, you know, you are a being that is worthy of of existence and can have a better place. And we met Warforged, who we met a Warforged uh, Titan that learned how to speak poetry, learned how to write poetry, and he became something else. You can be something else, too. And he said, well, there's only one other thing that I want that if I if I, you know, if I'm not there's only one thing that could get me to, to, to stop me from this. And that was there was another train and the two of us used to be able to talk to one another. But the train that train killed themselves. And their personality orb, their docent orb that was inside the train was stolen. If you get it for me and bring it to me, then I won't, I won't kill all of you. Is this like D&D Thomas the Tank Engine? Uh, it's actually directly <laughs> ripped off from Stephen King's The Wastelands. Okay. <laughs> uh, with a, with a, a train known as Blaine the Mono. That, but Riddle games are dumb, so I didn't want to do riddles. They didn't, in the book, they do riddles. So... Uh, so they, they, they convinced Karshak to do this. They had a bunch of, you know, they had, uh, they had to repower Karshak up on a, at a dam. So they went to this old dam and had a bunch of adventures in the dam, got the dam working again. The dam created this massive amount of like lightning energy that flowed into Karshak and got him primed again so he could go roaring off again. And then now they just went to a ruined city where they found out that the guy who has the docent for Karshak's mate, who is called Mycenta, is being held by a uh, uh, a Dragonmark member of House Orion, and is being protected by um, assassins of Shadow, assassins of 
house. Uh, which house is it? I forget the name of the house. It's the house. It's the, there's two, there's two houses of shadow and they, they had a split in the last war and there's like a one house that's not quite as bad as the other house. And this, they, they came from the bad house. So, uh, the party faced them and convinced they, 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 they destroyed a really powerful monster that, that I took from, uh, Arcana of the Ancients, the Monty Cook, the Monty Cook D&D book that kind of mixes Numenera with, 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 uh, D&D. And, uh, that book, by the way, Arcana of the Ancients, and there's another book called Beasts of Flesh and Steel are outstanding supplements for Eberron, you know, particularly for the Mornland, because it's all of this like crazy magic technology stuff. And it's really weird, which means you can drop stuff into your game that, uh, you know, doesn't feel like D and D stuff, but fits the themes of Eberron and particularly fits the themes of the last war. So, or, uh, and of, of the morning, uh, house, the is the name of the, the, the house. Um, so there's an assassin of house, the who his quote is protecting this dragon mark member of house Orion who has the orb that has the personality of the train, the other train that they want to bring to Karshak. So Karshak will take him to the make to, to making that's where it currently stands. The tricky bit is I have no idea why the assassin from House Therani actually is with the guy from House Orion. And that is, you know, I'm trying to figure out. I, I've already tied it to one of the characters. One of the characters saw her. Her name is uh, her name is uh, Needle. And she saw he saw she saw Needle. Her, his my you know, his character's female saw Needle. And said, oh, my God, that's Needle. That's an assassin from Masterani. And I think also one of my other players, uh, one of my other, the other characters is going to recognize her and say, that's Needle. Like, as she was in a, she was a hired assassin for the King's, the King's Dark Lanterns as well. So I'm doing a lot of, like, wrapping up the inter- intricate politics of Eberron, you know, into, like, one scene. Uh, but the scene ended with a conversation. Right. So it's starting tomorrow night with a conversation. And I, I haven't yet figured out sort of the motivation for why in the middle of the Mornland, in the middle of this ruined city, uh, agents of uh, House Therani would be protecting a member of House Orion who holds this this, you know, this docent, this war, essentially a warforged personality, a powerful right. warforged personality. It's a, it's a warforged brain. It's like a Warforged brain, yeah. To to probably one of like the top three most powerful Warforges ever, you know, Warforged ever made, right? Like the idea that they 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 put. I mean, it, it's kind of like you put an AI into a big system, right? And if you think about like most Warforged are AI put into humanoid bodies. In this case, they put it into vehicles, right? And you have a like if you have a sentient vehicle, that vehicle is more powerful, could do more for you than if you just had a vehicle that you could drive yourself. So so that's that's where my game currently is. Mm-hmm. The other kind of big question marks I have is like, what the hell are they going to find when they get to making? Like, what is that rift? And the only, you know, I had this sort of idea. Um, I had this sort of idea uh, over the weekend because I have two groups that are doing this. Right. And they're both roughly, you know, one group's about two weeks behind the other. And I was trying to think like, I, don't, I never even bothered to figure out like what is in making. Why do they have to go to making to make this weapon? Right? You, you called, is it? You said there was something in, in Clawrift at making. Yeah, so it, it, there's three places are really the same thing. There's a city that was called Making. It's still called Making. But since the morning, it's now also known as the Glass Plateau because whatever happened in Making made the whole area around it glass, right? 
And I invented a thing called Claw Rift, which is like a particular building or fortress or something. And I and, I, and my thought about Claw Rift is it's actually a giant hole in the ground. And there was like a building that's floating above this hole in the ground. And it's power. It's some kind of connection to the world that's flowing up through this hole. And that's why you have to build a weapon there. So if you're gonna if you're gonna draw energy into a massive dragon shard, a five ton dragon shard, you got to draw it up from this pillar of light. You know, this pillar of energy. Part of me, and maybe this is me thinking sort of in a in an author sort of mindset rather than a game uh, DM sort of mindset. But part of me thinks it would be an interesting twist if they found that building. It, you know, floating over the the city, over the crater or whatever, they go inside the building to explore and and, and you know do what they need to do in there and discover that Claw Rift is actually a person in the mm. building and it's the person responsible for the morning and the only person who knows how to recreate the weapon. Um, mm. You know, and that's that's what it is. Like Claw Rift is is that person's name. Maybe it's a maybe it's even yeah, a war a warforge or something, right? But there's a person. Well, that... the only trick there is I've already surprised them with one warforge thing that they didn't expect to be a warforge. Oh. <laughs> like Car, they had no idea Karshak was a warforge. Everybody referred to Karshak as the god of Eston, and it's because like there was a whole bunch of cultist worshippers of of Karshak, and then they walk in like, holy shit, Karshak's a train, and then they were like. Holy shit, Karshak's a Warforged train? Right. right? Well, then, yeah. then then, maybe it's just, you know, an old, uh, you know, important person from House Caneth that, that was responsible yeah, right. for the whole or, thing. Or yeah, I think I think there's... So I, I had an idea, because it feels like something that might be fun, that actually, like, down deep in Claw Rift, if Claw Rift is this, is this like, massive vertical shaft, right, and is that down deep there's a ruined city that surrounds whatever the portal is of power that's that's flowing up. So they might have the option of stopping Leto Skull and the agents of the Droam from creating the weapon. But if they're willing to go down into the ruined city beneath it, they can actually stop the energy source permanently and make sure no, no weapon ever gets built that was that was that bad or at least that way. And that might be, that then it can be sort of like a dare zone, you know, it could be like a the characters, you know, the characters and therefore the players can decide, do we actually want to go down there? You know, it's going to be who knows what is down there, right? It's not good. Whatever's down there is not good. Whatever, whatever creatures are down in that ruined city, you know, a city that's older than any other that we've had in all of Corvair, you know, older than the Dakani and older than, you know, anything else. Um, that might, that might be a fun sort of spot right a fun decision for them to make like and it's also like they are they done with the campaign right are the, are the players like okay we, we stopped the weapon on? Skull, maybe you know we 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 stopped the cre- creation of any kind of new weapon and we're good and yeah this play there's still this gaping hole in the middle of the mornland that's pouring out you know it's like the it's like the open reactor from chernobyl right it's just this you know it's going to burn a hole in the planet forever and you know, but what if we go down and actually seal it? But if we go down there, we may never get back up again. <laughs> right? So, yeah. So I think I think I think there could be some some fun there. Steal your mind likes the idea of the um, the Warforge train, and want, but wants to do it as a boat. And now I'm thinking I have to do it as a helicopter so we can hit all of the '80s intelligent sure. vehicle like, means. Like yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to admit that I, uh, I was, I, I just reread the entire dark tower series, Stephen King's dark tower series. It's like, I forget. It was like 450 hours in audiobook in audible. 
and it's huge. It's eight, eight giant novels. And it was in the, it was right around when I was reading wastelands that I was just starting my Eberron campaign. And I'm like, I'm, I'm taking the city of Ludd and I'm taking Blaine the mono and I'm putting in my Eberron game. And I like wrote it, you know, I didn't write a lot about it, but I'm like, I know I'm doing that. Right. I even had a picture that I, that I had of, of Blaine the mono and I'm like, I'm using that. And so it took me like nine months, but or, or seven months, but then it got dropped in. So that was fun. And then what was the other thing you were wondering about? So the big question I have is I'm trying to figure out why members. Oh, of why the, the yeah. Why is the assassin there? Yeah. And, and her, so it's her and a bunch of people. And I don't know if it's going to turn into a fight or not. I kind of dig the idea. So one of the, the, the house symbol for house, the is the displacer beast. I think it'd be really cool if she had a couple of invisible displacer beasts protecting, you know, her, her, and she's got a bunch of other sort of house, the Ronnie, you know, guards that she's hired, you know, veterans and, and other spies and assassins that are with her. Probably about a dozen that are there. And, um, but the question is like, what's her angle? You know, like, I mean, it, it takes a lot to hire a member of house, the Ronnie to guard you. What well, did she want from the docent? You know, why does she want it? Why did she, why, you know, why does the guy okay. from House Orion want it? I mean, th- it's easy for to understand why the guy from House Orion wants it, which is House Orion is like the transportation house. So he want, you know, he knew how powerful it is. And he's like, imagine if we could put that in a big boat or in an airship or something else like where, you know, the fact that that my Senta had killed themselves doesn't matter. We'll just we'll take them and put them right into some other vehicle. Like it's too, they're too powerful to, you, to, to go. Have you established why the train killed itself? Yeah. So the, the big, the big sort of arc, and this is something that I've, that I've, I have had now for a few weeks is that like a lot of, a lot of Warforged are trying to figure out what their place is in the world. Right. So they met with a group of Warforged called the, 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 they were the, called the, like the followers of the becoming God, which is the sort of the Warforged think that they can manifest a God if, just through force of will and through construction, right? They can make a God. They don't have one, but they were created from nothing so they can create their God from nothing. And if you think about how gods work in general, they can do that, right? Like gods manifest because of the, of the, the, the you know, the because, because of the beliefs. So they're working on it, right? And they're all monks. And what was fun is they're pacifists. They, they will not draw a weapon ever again, right? They did it in the morning. They did it in the war. They'll never do it again. So the characters met them and it was really kind of fun. And one of the Warforged was a, a huge Warforged Titan called Clasp. And Clasp didn't say anything. And and all everyone was afraid of him. No, the Warforged weren't afraid of him, but like when they would have their their, you know, um um they'd have these like not yeah, not garden parties, but uh um you know, they'd, they'd have, you know, you come on to come on to a place and buy all of our produce. And when all the local villages would kind of come there for their farmer's market, that's what I'm looking for, their farmer's market. They'd come to the Warforged farmer's market and every so often they'd catch a glimpse of clasp and everybody freak out because he's like, you know, 25 feet high and four tons. And he's got a hammer for one hand and an axe for another hand. And they're like, that dude's going to, you know, he could wreck all our villages in one night. And, you know, but class doesn't do that anymore. He's a member of the you know, monks of the becoming God, too. And his thing was he 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 thinks up and he thinks up a poem every day. He's a poet. Right. So his his thing is he sits in his monastery kind of isolated by himself. And then at dinner, he shows up. They all get together for sort of a gathering, even though they don't eat. And then he says one of his poems. And so it kind of caught the characters off guard when he kind of stands up there and gives us this poem. And they're like, wow, he's like a big, giant poet. So then later they went into Eston 
and um, uh, steal your mind says Warforge Farmers Market, trying to understand the utility. And the, their utility is they want to be they want to be members of the local society. You know, they don't get anything. They get kind of money back and they use it to kind of build the castle that they're in. But they're, they're they really just want to get along with the other people out there. So they're doing it. You know, they're doing it on behalf of everyone else that's there. So then they go to Eston and in Eston, they see Warforged that are almost the exact opposite, which are like wild, crazy, sometimes in great pain because they were like they, they met a bunch of Warforged werewolves, right, which were like Lycanthropes that had been sort of converted into Warforged because like Wolverine, you could sort of implant anything in them and they'd still survive. And they were just, you know, m- m- angry and hurt. And, and, you know, there was no, there was no kind of dealing with them. And then there was others, Warforged machines that they found there. Uh, and then they meet Karshak, right? And Karshak says like, look, I, I was responsible. My Senta and I were responsible for moving equipment and materials and the uh, artificers to, from Eston and from Metro, these two other cities to making and back and forth. And then they blew up an entire continent and that's on us. You know, we, we help them do that. We're the, probably the only entities left that had, and at one point they're, they're riding around on Karshak and he points out the window and he shows them this thing called a dread destroyer, which is a huge, like Warforged tank. It's actually the, the, the dread destroyer is a, is a monster in, um, uh, Arcana of the ancients. And it's like a CR 30. It's like a mechanical Tarrasque, right? And he said, like, that was built to, to wreck cities and to wreck cities. Uh, it, it realized that it had that was, it's the only purpose that it had was to do that. And it knows that to do anything is to be going along that path. So it chose to sit there and rot rather than move a single inch uh, towards the only goal that it was ever built to do. And so that's kind of the metaphor for Karshak, too, is like the best thing I can do. And, and my Senta had that agreement, like there's nothing for us. And we are weapons of war and we don't want to do that. So I'll, I'll destroy myself instead. And she went off her own rail and and blew up the train. Right. So I think it's a mixture of like isolation and watching an entire continent get destroyed around you and not knowing what one's place is in the world after all of this happens and still knowing that deep down, that's what you were built for. Like the mission is still there, you know? So, so that, that so that was a really long story to say she was guilty in her, uh, in the way she participated in creating the morning. Yes. Okay. Got it. <laughs> Did you say dread dread destroyer? That's what you were looking at. Yeah, the dread destroyer in Arcana of the Ancients. Yeah. So for those yes, watching, what, yeah, it looks one? like a giant crab, right? But it's like yeah. it's like a, a crab slash nuclear submarine. <laughs> sure. Right. And, so and that's pretty cool. So yeah, they are pretty cool. to my mind, uh, I think there's a few interesting reasons that Needle you said was the name of the assassin, right? Um. So so. On one hand, um, I kind of maybe Needle was made her made her made herself made herself a little bit easier to hire because um, the house knows that that Warforged train brain knows something that they're guilty of from during the war, like. Sure. You know, and, and they want to be yeah. close to the work as it's happening so that make sure that yeah. it doesn't say anything. Yeah. Um, you know, so that could be one thing. Uh, the other thing, which puts a twist on, on it all and, and connects it a lot less to the larger story is um, 
what if what if the reason she's really interested in protecting the guy is because they're in love, you know, and and it's just a personal thing, you know? She actually yeah, yeah. T- she actually took a leave from the house to go and, and and do this to to protect the the man that she loves or whatever. Those are my thoughts, but I've done most of the talking uh, during your time that between Sam and I, so I'll see if Sam has any thoughts. Yeah, what are your thoughts, Sam? Um, I mean, I. Mm, I don't know about the romance thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, because I, I, I don't you, know about it either. But I'm not. I didn't want to be rude. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's I never mean, stopped you before. <laughs> that works sometimes, right? I like but, the other one, though. I like the but, idea that my sentence knows something. Yeah. I mean, the thing with the romance thing is that it's not that it's a bad thing. It's that that right. often works better if you get clues along the way and you kind of realize it right before it becomes really obvious, rather than. Oh, here's this surprise, you know, reason. Uh, and, and and if it's not hinted at along the way, then then it runs the risk of like being a justification that the players never learn about anyway. Yeah. So I don't know. I I like the first idea though. So. Mm-hmm. I don't really... Yeah, I'm, I'm also wondering if the house. Yeah, they 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 know. Not only does does my center have secrets about them, but has secrets in general, and if they can get access to that. Yeah. You know, how valuable is that to a to a house that that deals in 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 espionage and secrecy? Which could be an interesting eventual betrayal. Like she's not really there to protect; she's there to eventually assassinate him and steal the thing. Yeah, I I, I, I would I give him fifty fifty odds that she kills him tomorrow night. Yeah, you know, yeah. for for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's harder to come up with something that feels really good because I'm not I don't know a lot about Eberron, so I feel like. I have a, I would have a hard time making a suggestion that's going to do the setting justice. Cause I'm not like, I don't, yeah, it's I don't not. know about, I, I don't really know like the origin of, of war forged and all that stuff. Like it's just not, I've not, I've not had much experience with Eberron. So yeah, well, a lot of it is intentionally left broad and vague, but Eberron is built on uh, one of the types of stories it's built to, to tell is sort of espionage intrigue sort of stories. I mean, it really, it, it, I think it's, it's so, so it, it, it takes a lot from World War One and World War Two, and like the times okay. between. If you sort of mixed World War One and World War Two together, and sort of the aftermaths of those two wars, the interwar together, period, yeah, yeah, and and like yeah. you know, you get a lot of it. So like the the you know the Treaty of Thronehold is very much like the Treaty of Versailles, you know, and okay. and, okay. and that it was a really bad idea. <laughs> the yeah. way it worked out was like let's right. bankrupt the entire country, yeah, and um, but then also has a lot of Cold War stuff in it, and I and I kind of poured poured a lot of the cold war stuff into um you know into this into this uh uh this part of the campaign just because mm-hmm. it's, it's fun and it's cool and it fits the raiders of the lost ark theme too right the whole idea yeah, that yeah. in the ark yeah. of the covenant it's like well you know you always got nazis that are going on too although there's no real one force that's act that's like the nazis in this like the emerald claw was there and they sort of were like that but now the emerald claw they were but they were such buffoons that they lost a long time ago <laughs> yeah. so you know, I had sort of all these different players and the players are slowly right. getting worked out. Yeah. And now there's still kind of three players left. Well, I think as Steel Your Mind would point out that your time has been up for a good 10 or 15 minutes now. Oh, so. man. I didn't hear an alarm. <laughs> uh, it, my, my new alarm that I've been using is I got to go. Quiet, I got to but... go watch Indiana Jones and the Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so we will uh, go ahead and end your time. I will remind folks that if you want to support the show, I know shopping season is upon us and you can go shopping uh, by following the links to Amazon through thetomeshow.com uh, or DMs Guild if you're buying PDF gaming materials for people. Um, 
Uh, and you, if you buy it through those links, we get a little cut, and then I share that with all of the folks who help make the show. So go make sure you do that. All right. Uh, Sam. Yes. You are up. Let's let's talk about your stuff, because you've started a whole new campaign. I did. So my, my, my D&D brief game is still going, and it's getting really exciting now because they they finally figured out what they have to do and they they went back into the li- they they gained the trust of the queens and they went back into the library and they found they went to this room that they thought was just going to be a place for them they were trying to put the book of proofs away cuz you know it had been taken from that library in the first place and they didn't want to take it with them cuz they thought maybe it would be taken from them and used by Larilac. So they wanted to return it to its home. And that happened to be in this one room uh, in the library that was called the Spire Room, which actually had a sort of model of the Soul Spire, which has to do with the lore of the world. And they walk in and it's this really huge, awesome, like, scene and they're looking at the actual soul spire not just a model of it and it's showing them everything they need to know but it's like so complex and eerie and creepy and nasty and horrific they don't really know what they're looking at quite yet like they they understand it's the soul spire but it's one of those scenes where it kind of ended it ended the session and they're just kind of like all looking at each other's like holy crap, what are we supposed to do now? Like, like, uh-oh, like we understand now this is going to be bad. The way we have to fix this is really going to be hard. So so that's really fun. Um, but I'm not going to talk anymore about that because I want to talk about my Rhyme of the Frostmaiden game. So uh, I've had a session zero and two regular sessions of that game now. And um, I really, really like it. And I know that there has been a lot of critique and criticism um, and yeah, look at Mike. Mike hasn't said a word. Uh, and, but the thing is like, so there's a couple ways that I think about this. Yes, there are some things I changed. Um, but none of them are supremely major enough. None of them had to be supremely major enough, at least not in the first half of it. I know in the latter half, I'm going to change something pretty major and that, that a little bit bugs me, but <laughs> I'm not changing this. The first probably 10 sessions that I'm going to play in this campaign, I'm not changing it so much that I'm not changing it any more than I would change any other thing. So despite the criticisms, here's where I'm going with this. Despite the criticisms, I think it's at least as good as most of the other adventures that I've, that I've read. Yeah. So no, I was real disappointed with it at first. And then, as I thought through the criticisms and whatever, I think there there are significant issues that need to be fixed, but the ways that I would fix them aren't as difficult as I originally thought they would be. And that's been the case for most. Like, I had the same reaction to, to Tomb of Annihilation. Like, there, the, the death curse is is was a real hard stumbling block for me. But once you sort of figure out how to get past it, it, it moves smooth. Tyranny of Dragons and the fact that the masks are useless and don't do anything uh, it was problematic. And then actually Mike gave the idea of like, here's a way you can make them matter. And then that kind of fixed a lot of it for me. So you, oftentimes the, the big problems have relatively simple fixes. Right. Yeah. And so so here's what happened. So I, I decided to focus at the beginning on um, – on on the environment because I think the first part of this adventure is meant for the PCs to experience the environment and get to know the people of Tin Towns, and so um, 
I'm focusing on, you know, I food scarcity and extreme cold and people being sacrificed and everybody's scared and everybody's suspicious. You know, the towns, when it gets dark at night, the towns all, you know, they shut their gates, right? N- whereas normally they would have their gates open until it got really late. And now their gates are closed most of the time because in this setting, because of the the rhyme, you know, it's only light from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And then it's only it's in its dim light. Otherwise, it's dark until midnight when she goes across the sky and casts a dim pale, you know, a, a dim pallor on everything. And then at 6 a.m., that goes away again. It fades when the time that the sun would come up. So then it's dark again for four hours until 10 a.m. And then it's only light again. So it's only light for like eight hours a day. And at that, unless there's a full moon, right? But then, and at those times, it's still only dim light. It's not even bright light. And dim light is a real bummer <laughs> for <laughs> for character. I mean, it's a it's a real bummer for you know. It changes the way that people behave, you know, um, because it's just you're never in bright sunlight. There is no um, time when you ever really get a good view of everything. And even somebody with dark vision they only see in black and white that right so you're still not getting sort of the whole view of the world in the way you know in the way that you normally would if it's bright sunlight outside so i've kind of been focusing on those sorts of things so for example at the beginning they run into this sort of emaciated pack of wolves uh they're they're on their way to targos they're walking to targos and they get they sort of notice there's these sounds around them and they're being stalked by this kind of emaciated little pack of wolves four little wolves i weakened them quite a bit but they had a winter wolf with them and so and they defeated that and they because i had made such an impression on them in the session 0 about what this game is about and about when i introduced the the game at the beginning of the first session I made such an impression that they're like, okay, well, so we killed those. We're going to take that meat. And so we want to take a whole bunch of time and we're going to like take that meat so that we actually have food that we can preserve and, and keep and, or sell and, you know, uh, stuff like that. So, so I'm focusing on those sorts of things when they arrive in Targos. Um, I wrote about this on my blog, but I actually did it in the game. I, I had them, uh, arrive in Targos right on the first night of the new moon, which is when Oral takes her sacrifices. And so they walked up to Targos and there were a couple of guards pulling a man out and tying him to a pole and stripping him down so that he could, you know, be sacrificed to Oral. And of course his family members are just inside the gate crying and whatnot. And so there's this whole scene where they have to decide what to do. Um, They end up going into the town. They don't rescue the guy, by the way, because, uh, it's the law of the land up there that the sacrifice has to happen. And so they decided, well, we can't really intervene. We don't know these people. And, you know, they kind of talked about, well, is this person a criminal or, you know, how do they, you know, like they didn't know any of the technicalities about what's happening. So they basically said, well, we can't really intervene because we don't know what the right choice would be. So they kind of decided not to intervene. That's, um, that's very, of that's very un and ish of them. It is very them, <laughs> and a couple of them, I think, were a little bit bothered by it. So I think that's gonna that's gonna end up coming back, right? Because they're gonna start to see these sacrifices a lot more. But anyway, so they go into town. They meet some people. The next morning, uh, they're woken up by. First of all, they went to the tavern, and when they went to a tavern, I, I told them the tavern didn't look very well kept. So it had 
spaces and gaps between the floorboards and it was very chilly and there was a breeze and whatnot. And they went up to the room and I basically described the same thing and they decided to stay there anyway. And half of them were kept up all night by rats running around in the walls and making scratching noises and, and all of that. So half of them woke up the next morning and were already exhausted. (laughs) So that's one of the ways that I'm, that I'm Mm -hmm. showing how harsh this environment is, right? If you can't even get warm inside and if you can't get a good night's sleep inside, you're going to be exhausted. And that is so harsh for characters. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, they stayed exhausted for the whole entire first and second session, right? I mean, they, they were, they were kind of screwed in, in some cases. How are the players taking that? Oh, they're loving it. They're like, we knew it was going to be hard. We Mm -hmm. knew because there's a lot of levity in between, right? Like I made this really boisterous, um, you know, uh, uh, tavern keep and there's some mystery things going on and they're really interested in trying to figure out what the heck's going on. They're suspicious of every single person that they run into because, of course, half of them are suspicious, right? Um, And so they're woken the next morning by a scream and someone has found a body outside. So they go and they look at the body and the body has like had the symbol of oral carved into its chest and it's had its throat slit. And of course, that's the work of Sefik Caltro, but they don't know that yet. All they know is that this happened. So now they're now they're there. And of course, the guards come running, the town guards and the the captain of the guards come in. And uh, I think in Targos, actually, it's referred to as the militia. They're not guards, they're militiamen, but whatever. So they come in and they start questioning the the PCs because they're like, "What's going on here? You know, what did when did you find this body? What's happening?" And and they did, there was not really any moments where the guards were going to accuse them because you could tell that the body had been the person had been killed and the body had been frozen and deposited there that morning. Um, and so they're doing this investigation. And meanwhile, someone from the town kind of gets the attention of one of the characters that was standing much farther away. And says, you know, I heard there was a murder in Bryn Shander, too. Mm. So this isn't the only one. And then the person, like, hurriedly went inside and shut their door and barred it and stuff like that. So they decide and they get talked into kind of uh, by the guard and one of the players to think about going over to Bryn Shander. Because um, the player is playing this character that's really that's really curious, but also... Uh, like keep secrets and whatnot. And so basically is trying to get dirt on everybody. Um, and then while they're, while they're sort of horsing around the, the speaker of the town comes in. And of course the speaker of the town in Targos is not necessarily the most trustworthy person anyway. And I played him up like a real slimy used car salesman. <laughs> he was a politician kind of guy. He didn't answer any of their questions. Like the mayor asked, in Jaws. Yeah. He asked about four or five questions and they answered them and then he wouldn't answer any of their questions. But he didn't just go silent. He just answered questions that weren't what they were asking, right? Um, and so they're, of course, suspicious of him, but they have really no reason to think that there's something wrong with him other than he's a politician. Uh, and so um, they end up deciding, okay, he convinces them, look, I don't have any jurisdiction in Bryn Shander, so if you can go find out what's going on in Bryn Shander, I'll have my people look in here, and then maybe we can figure out what's happening, why, if there's been really two murders, we can figure out why. So they are about to go over to Bryn Shander, but they start to get suspicious of the tavern keep, who keeps talking about his wife, but they've never seen his wife. 
So they learn from him a couple of important things. The first one is he thinks he still has a wife, but she's just at the shrine or at the temple right now. She, she'll, he'll make sure she's back when they get back. That's what the, he tells them. So they, they ask him, where's the temple? And he says, oh, it's over there in that stand of trees by the wall. And so it's this, they go look at it, and it's this ice shrine to Oral. Um, but then they decide, well, we need to tell the speaker that there's a shrine over here to Oral. And he tells them, well, you know, there are shrines in every town. There's shrines and temples in every town. I mean, Oral is a goddess. Of course she's worshipped, and she has places where she's worshipped more. And so they're getting the picture, oh, okay, well, this kind of, yeah. So how are we going to tell the kind of good people who are worshipping Oral from the <laughs> bad people who are worshipping And that's not uncommon in the, in the realms in general. Like, you have horrible gods and goddesses, and they are worshipped in order to, you know, keep their wrath at bay, you know? Humbly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, so they're sort of stumbling against that because now they can't just immediately tell who's good and who's mm-hmm. bad. So they also find out by searching the kitchen because they asked the, the tavern keep if they could use his kitchen to, to preserve some of the meat that they got. And while he's looking away or while he goes into the other room, they start searching the place and they find two dead flying snakes in a box that looked like it was getting ready to be shipped somewhere, but they're not. They're flying snakes that are blue. They're like a icy blue color with with dark blue wings, and they have never seen anything like that. So now they're like, oh, well, we don't we. And so, but a couple of the players are like, oh, we've seen flying snakes before. So they have a player knowledge thing going on where they're like, crap, is that <laughs> happening here too? <laughs> yeah. So, so that happens. So they decide they're going to go to Bryn Shander. So they try to make their way over to Bryn Shander, and. Um, on as they get there, they see someone over in a little snowdrift by a little dead tree stump, uh, looking around for something and acting kind of weird. And they stumble across uh, Velen Harpel. And I don't show so she's by herself, and I show them the picture, but I've cropped it so that all they can see is this old woman with the owl on her shoulder. And so she tells them she's looking for these little elemental creatures called Chewingas, and so that's how they end up getting the Chewinga uh, quest. Um, and they end up making their way into Bryn Shander. So they, they talk to her for a while, and they're sort of like, uh, as players, they're like, Sam, did the module name this person Villain? Like, why, <laughs> why is this person's name Villain? Um and so, but you know, her name is Villain. I didn't name her. That's her <laughs> name. I'm sorry. Uh, did they have a quest in Targos? Uh, well, so no, they did not do the Targos quest. What they did was they found the dead body and started yeah. finding out that there's lots of people who worship Oral. Yeah, it sounds like what you've done is you've taken the sort of two different opening quests and you've expanded them out to make them much bigger and, and add in all these other side mysteries and things as well yeah, to, to introduce exactly. the setting. So, Right, because I want them to be running around to two or three of the towns before they end up reaching <laughs> Cal- Pacific Caltro. I'm still talking. I can hear it. I'm- I got questions. I got lots of questions. Well, hold, hold on. So I'm not done yet. So when they get to Bryn Shander, they go in and what they're one of the players wants to buy a rapier for her her character. So they go into the um to the uh 
to the blacksmith there and they they look for rapiers and as they're having that conversation and they realize it's too expensive for them to buy the three dwarves come in that are going to give them that have the quest to go get the iron ingots and so they make a deal with the owner of the blacksmith shop that if they go help get the ingots back she'll give them snowshoes and the rapier mm-hmm. so they went and did that quest and ran into the it's goblins the goblins, and polar right. bears yeah. and had their first actual major fight um, and then made it back. And then that was the end of the session. So there's a whole lot more I could talk about. But what's your question? So, yeah, I guess. How did you decide what city they should start at? What you chose Targos. Uh, what made you choose Targos? I chose Targos because Targos is one of the largest towns. And it's also the most nefarious of the largest towns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And right. I wanted them to see the kind of evil underbelly first as players, not necessarily as characters. Right. Um, because two of my characters are Reghead tribesmen. So they've already been to, they already kind of know about all the towns uh, and have their own kind of thoughts about those. But that's why I specifically chose Targos because I didn't want them to go to Bryn Shander and see a sacrifice, although that did happen. They mm-hmm. will realize that Bryn Shander also had the sacrifice. But uh, I wanted them to see it in, and then when they start, because I knew they would, even if they didn't rescue the sacrifice, they would ask around and they would learn, oh, all the people here are kind of weird and creepy. And there's some stuff going on that's really not nice. And then having a murder victim show up there is, you know, just kind of adds to that. But they really don't have a reason to disbelieve the guard captain or the speaker right now, right? They really have no reason other than the fact that they, you know, they had a a citizen that was murdered, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's – they really don't have any – but so I've – you know, if you give them something and you give them no reason to suspect someone, but then later on they can build on that relationship and learn how creepy that person is, it feels like a richer world is the reasoning there. Gotcha. Whereas if I send them to Bryn Shander and everybody in Bryn Shander is great. And even, you know, I, I wrote I wrote up the my my cult thing that I'm uh, I wrote up the Creed of Oral, which is a, a you know, a. a 20 page basically document that talks about the cult of oral and how to work that into your frost main game. And one of the things that I say in there is, um, you know, for me in Bryn Shander, because Bryn Shander has such a lawful good presence there, even though they're still doing, um, the sacrifices and whatnot, uh, Marcus and Duvessa, the two, you know, the, 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 the chief of police, basically the sheriff, um, and uh, and and the speaker in Bryn Shander, they really don't want any cult of oral activity. So they have cracked down on cultists having you know cult like behavior there. And so uh, it's kind of the safe space town almost where you can hmm. you can actually go there and they'll learn that they can actually talk to those people and they're going to be relatively honest. Um, whereas in Targos, I also needed them to see another town that wasn't like, I didn't want them to come into 10 towns and think, oh, these are all happy go lucky people, despite right. there's this huge, and, you know, and there's, there's nice places to sleep at night where you won't gain exhaustion right. and all these things, you know, right. let, let him, let them start off with that survival mode and that things are dark and hard and then find a safe space later. Yeah. And, and that, that tends to carry through, right? If they start with how 
everything is so hard, that's going to carry through at least two or three sessions. By the time they're level four or five, I don't know that it's going to matter so much. But by then, hopefully they're invested in what's happening, right? And they know that some of these places, there's good citizens in all of them, but some of them have leadership that's maybe not so great. And some of them have more cultists than others. And yeah. I really like your approach to to blending in the spre- stretching out those initial uh, quests and then also blending all the other sort of quests and side things into it instead of instead of as written where you kind of do the opening quest and then you and then you do the sort of uh, right. Icewind Dale uh, not Icewind Dale the the uh, Ice Spire Peak sort of approach mm-hmm. to you know yeah. here's a bunch of quests now go to the next place here's a bunch of quests I think the way you've done it is is really interesting. One of the things I did, I didn't I didn't determine what their next quest was going to be, actually. I only determined that they were going to go to Targos. But while they were in Targos, um, they they met they talked to this man, one of the patrons in the tavern, and he was really drunk. And he heard the one of the Reghead tribesmen talking about talking with the other players, the other PCs, about how his because they asked him why he left his tribe. And he basically said, Well, my tribe is starting to starve to death. They're starting to die out and and not have very good success because the herds are no longer around. The herds that used to be around that we would hunt and use for our livelihood, they're no longer around. And I had a patron at another table hear that and sort of as he was walking to the to the to the bar to get another pitcher of ale or something, he kind of drunkenly said, "Oh, I know where all the tr- where all the herds have gone." And he tells them that there's this white moose that's like gathering all the herds and chasing them away. And it's also killing people and it killed his brother and it's up in Lonelywood and he starts crying. And, you know, so I sort of worked that in so that if they want to, they can go way up to Lonelywood. They can go through Tourmaline. They can they can investigate other things. They don't have to necessarily pursue why are these sacrifices happening or why did these murders happen, right? They had other avenues. I let them pick. Their characters are driving it. All I did was determine the first town. And then I knew, I had a good enough idea of all the quests that if they said certain things, different patrons would say, well, you know, I heard whatever, or, well, you know, I saw whatever, or, hey, if you're interested in that, you might want to talk to so-and-so in this other town. I'm going to stop asking questions because by the time it gets to be my turn, we'll already be an hour into the episode. <laughs> uh, so, Mike, what you, yeah, you I've, I've got lots of questions too, but I'm, I'm going to hang on to them. The, the thing is, like, I, I'm when my Eberron game is done, I'm I'm going to be running this one. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm super I'm super interested in in you know things like that. The one one thing that I think is interesting about Targos is it looks like that's got its its quest. If you ran that quest, is one that is also super deadly for first level characters. Like, yeah, and it takes them hey. all the way through. It takes them through ten towns, through several towns, because they have to get to the place where they can get the sled or whatever and go. I mean, I guess they could go directly from Targos, but that seems more deadly. I mean, like there's a lot of ways to do that quest, but I, I didn't want them to have to rush through all the other towns and just kind of just really inconsequentially go through each town. I wanted them to have a reason to stop at each town. So I didn't even introduce the Targos quest. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All right. In that case, uh, since Mike's going to graciously hang on to his questions until the many, many months uh, that we will continue talking about this, um, 
I'm going to go ahead and encourage people another way that you can support the show besides going shopping at Amazon uh, and DMs Guild through the links at thetomeshow.com is you can be a patron uh, at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. Uh, be one of our supporters there. We haven't had a new patron. We have a, a, a great group of patrons there, but we haven't had a new patron in, in a month or two. So it'd be nice to, to see a little growth there. I know things are tough for folks, though. So do what you need to do. Take care of yourself. Um, Patreon.com slash The Toma Show, just like who are uh, the patrons I wanted to mention. Hyperlexic, Merrick Blackman, Jill Sanders, Leonard Pelche, uh, Doug Palmer, who is also one of our like oldest uh, patrons. He's been a patron of of the show since 2016, which is when the Patreon launched uh, and has stuck with us this whole time. So we must be doing something all right. So there we are. All right. Steal Your Mind is a patron. Steal Your Mind is a patron. That is absolutely correct. He's in He's in our, our chat right now. So um, I'm going to put 15 minutes on the clock and then ignore it like everybody else. Uh, to talk about my game. So uh, uh, that's the way that works. Um, so, Curse of Strahd. Uh, I feel like we are approaching, like, I think we could be done with Curse of Strahd in one or two sessions. Um, a lot has sort of happened, but um, despite all of the various side quests and things that they could do, there's a few that they wanted to take care of, and then uh, the players... The characters are very much like, all right, we've been here long enough, and this is getting ridiculous. We need to just move on and get this thing done. And I feel like the players are in the, uh, have the same sentiment. Like, okay, we've explored Barovia. We've, we've done it. Like, it's time to, to wrap this thing up, right, to move on. Um, and so they, they wrapped up. The, the last big quest they wanted to deal with was the Werewolf Lair because it was uh, – I, I, I uh, tied it into a character's backstory. He took the was the background that came with Curse of Strahd, the haunted one, where some some sort of horrible event happened in his past, and he was like, there was, I was I was in in a local little jail for something or other, and um, there was a bunch of noise, and everybody was slaughtered, and I was the and I escaped uh, and and saw something in the, in the shadows or whatever, but it left me alive for whatever reason, and it's haunted me ever since. Right, the, the, everybody else was wiped out. Uh, and so the story that I concocted of that, uh, out of that sort of mysterious background was the things that tore apart that little town were, were the werewolves from Barovia. They were going on a raid and they didn't kill everybody. They stole all the children and then slaughtered everybody else who got in their way. Uh, but his character wasn't getting in their way. And so they just sort of said, don't worry about it. He's, he's not important enough to kill and moved on. Um, and so, but the, all that to say that Dealing with the werewolf issue was important to that character. And so they headed off to the werewolf lair. Um, and this character was on a rampage and and was killing every werewolf, even the ones that were trying to talk to him. Even the one that was like, what is it? Like there's a little like 11-year-old kid holding a little wooden zombie doll or whatever. <laughs> and he blasted it before it could even transform into a werewolf. <laughs> and, wow. And, right? And, and everybody sort of looked at him you know, wide-eyed like... Are you okay? No, it's a wolf. He has to die, right? Well, uh, uh, irony of ironies in the in the next session after they'd finished off, and, and Zuleika did manage to survive and, and talk him down, and not you know he sort of made a deal to not kill her with the intention of like maybe I'll kill her later, right? Um, but but then they came out, and Kirill, the the horrible leader of the the werewolf pack, 
had just arrived with his hunting pack. And uh, I had this story where there was there was another sort of primal werewolf uh, up in the mountains that they were sending the kids who who didn't make it into the pack up for for food and sacrifice so that this primal werewolf didn't come down and wreak havoc in, in Barovia. Um, so they had just dropped off some kids up there uh, to be, to to sacrifice to to this primal werewolf. Um, and and showed up and so here's the uh, a new bunch of a new part of the pack all at once with the leader and I'm pulling some other stats from people's homebrew in in D and D Beyond because I wanted a werewolf that was actually going to be a threat um, to a group of I think at the time tenth level uh, PCs um, so I I found like a somebody had made like a CR thirteen that was probably not actually a CR thirteen but that's what they called it uh, alpha werewolf sort of uh, so I used a stat block like that, um, and 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 the, that one character who whose quest this was, um, I didn't necessarily expect him to do it, but challenged the the leader Kirill to the one on one combat thing, right? And then one of the other players is like, "Let me make sure this is fair," and puts up a wall of fire around him, which worked out perfect for for this character. Because uh, the character who challenged the leader is also a warlock with eldritch blast, uh, eldritch, yeah, eldritch blast that that pushes. So he's just throwing cantrips out and pushing the big bad through the wall of fire <laughs> every round, right? Uh, so, uh, so, but that ended up being a fun little encounter, a fun combat, and then they decided if there's some other massive werewolf creature up there in the mountains we need to you know and that's the cause of all this horribleness and the sacrifice of children or whatever Zuleika's like look if, if that thing's not around I will cut ties with with Strahd and we won't go on any more raids no more kids will be taken everything you know we'll just live here in the hills and, and try to get by right um, so they're like fine we'll go take care of this the, whatever this thing is Eldrek as it was called right uh, which is a name that should sound familiar to Mike uh, so I don't know how much you want me to talk about that. Not all of it. Okay. Can't say anything. So this is uh, I stole Eldrek uh, as a playtest from what's the name of the book again? Fantastic Layers. Fantastic Layers that you're doing with James Intercasso and uh, um, F Scott Gray. F F yeah yeah, yeah Scott Gray. Scott F Gray. That's it. That's what it, yeah. F Scott Fitzgerald right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so yeah, Scott Gray. Uh, so the three of you are are doing this, and and you happen to have this this frost giant werewolf layer big bad thing. Uh, and when we mentioned it, I think last time or two times ago on the on, here on behind the DM screen, you're like, oh, I got something for you to play test when I was talking about the werewolf thing. Yeah, you're uh, like, I got werewolves and lovely characters. I'm like, woo, I got something for you. Yeah, so so you threw that at me. Um, and, and I I did, I, I, I made it a little bit tougher based on the, the rules that are in there because at that point I had level um, 10 characters. Uh, so I made it a little bit tougher, um, and and that all went really well. Uh, and so the idea was they get there, and and this is the the big bad savage sort of werewolf creature that um, the werewolves have. You know, if they don't feed it, it comes down from the mountains and wreaks havoc on their hunting grounds. So they keep feeding it, right? Uh, and so um, it starts off with an attack by his werewolf pack, uh, which they made short work of uh, with you know fireballs and whatever. Uh, but then they go into the inside of the giant. The cave that is that is entered through the skull of like a giant mammoth skull, right? 
they go in and you're and you're in a big chamber with the ribs of the the mammoth the giant mammoth in, in it and whatever and they come down the ramp and they're walking across the chamber trying to you know checking the tracks trying to figure out where this creature might be or whatever and suddenly they they start hearing you know, uh, as as werewolves riding mammoths come down the side tunnels and fight them, uh, and they had this this moment where they're like, "Where w- really werewolves riding mammoths?" You know, this is why we love D anD D. Like that was an, a that was a quote. Like, the, oh well, this is why we you know this is what it's about, right? Yeah, we nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so they fought those the mammoths are no joke. No, either. those and, and they're huge sacks of hit points. Um, yeah, well, and boatloads of damage. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, yeah. The the dam- they hit hard. Um, they hit hard, and then Eldrick himself hit real hard. Um, so yeah, uh, they they there were lots of my group has lots of inappropriate jokes, largely led by the one woman in the group. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, in terms of innuendo and whatever, and so they managed to polymorph one of the mammoths into a chicken, and you can imagine all of the things that uh, <laughs> that that led to. Um, so they dealt with that. They got into the chamber where Eldrek's lair is and whatever. Uh, and this was the opportune time. I mentioned that there was a bunch of irony that the one character went around and just blasted every werewolf because they're werewolves, right? In that fight with Kirill, the the leader of the pack, he failed a, a con save and was infected with lycanthropy. Yep, you got to kill him right away, right? Right. <laughs> so, so, but I, but I didn't have it. You know, sort of present itself until the fight with Eldrek. I, I forced him to use one of his tur- tur- rounds to transform into a werewolf when he <laughs> when he was splashed by the blood uh, in that pool. When Eldrek came, spl- you know, walking through it, it splashed everybody. And when he was covered with it, he transformed into a werewolf, right? Uh, and then he's like, "Oh, I don't know what I think about this," but he's also my min maxer. And they're like, "Well, here are the effects of being a werewolf." Oh, never mind. I think I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say like? However, I take over your. Character well, I, I'm not. I'm not taking. I'm not taking that that uh, oh. that approach. Um, so that they had that fight. And, all the stuff you get, and right, it's mine. Right. Um, <laughs> and and to tie things together even more, the children were, that were brought up for sacrifice were still there. They hadn't been eaten yet, and it was the three orphans from Dragon Heist. Mm. So and so, yeah. so they knew that they knew the the three orphans from from the Dragon Heist uh, time and you know those those kids were were not about any of this they're like and so the party's like how did you get here oh, a bunch of werewolves attacked shortly after you all disappeared and they took us took us in and uh, dragged us here and they told us we had to fight these other kids and we said screw you we're not fighting anybody because that's who we because that's how I've always played them they're real sassy and just do whatever the hell they want uh, and so they got them back to they they rescued them. Um, they took him, you know, they, they defeated Eldrak. Along the way, they ran into Mordenkainen because it was sort of in that area. So I had the Mordenkainen mad, mad mage part of, um, of Curse of Strahd happen there, which, which actually worked out pretty well because I was struggling to figure out, like, they gave Arena to um, the, the Order of the Feather to protect because uh, all their other options were crappy and gone. Uh, and I'm like, I don't really know. Like, I haven't had Arena show up since, and I don't really know where they stashed her. And I decided they knew about uh, Mordenkainen, or at least they knew there was some crazy wizard that had a magical sort of hiding place, right? And so they stashed her inside Mordenkainen's mansion. And so they show up, and, and she's like, yeah, I mean, mostly as long as I don't piss him off or confuse him. Like, he just ignores me and lets me live here. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's the one place that Strahd can't find us. That's why Morden Kanan's been, been safe in here for so long. 
so they they managed to recover him and uh, his mind and do all that kind of stuff and 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 they were wild like wait a minute the the, the guy from the cover of that book like you know so um that was that was impressive for them and and um that'll be lots of fun as in the future as well because as we go into descent into avernus he has the potential to show up uh there as well so i've been layering in all these cameos for potential things to happen there then they decided fine we're done we dropped the kids off at the blue water inn with the order of the feather we're not worried about them anymore it's time to go to the freaking castle we're not we're not messing around with this stuff anymore (laughs) we're going to the castle uh so they 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 head off to the castle um and they start they they i purposely um wanted to layer in like there's a bunch of stuff that you want to do that involves going into the castle not just kill strahd um because i'm using the interactive tome of strahd so they've had visions of him creating the heart so they know that's a thing that exists and 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 powers him up and they know you know they've got you know find Blinsky wants him to find the mechanical Strahd and Argon Vostholt. They've been looking for the, the skull. And, and so there's different things that they're trying to do in there. Um, and so I start, made sure to start that session as a re- little reminder. Like, besides killing Strahd, what all you want to do while you're in the castle? Just to remind them that there's other tasks as well to maybe get them to explore. The, do they have the three quests? like The, the three things, yeah. Yeah, they've, they, they've, I mean, those are all in the castle. They've already picked them all. They've up. they picked them all up early. They've had them okay. for most of the, most of the campaign. Yeah. Um, Steel, your mind has a question. Oh, what was it? He asks, uh, how much have the Strahd zombies been a random encounter? They're supposed to be everywhere, or no? Um, they've come up at, uh, on occasion. Um, the Strahd zombies, they're not. I don't know. I don't find them to be more interesting or fun or impressive than normal zombies. I think the normal zombie like headshot mechanic is more interesting than this arm came off when I hacked into the Strahd zombie and whatever. So they come up, but um, they haven't been very fun or interesting most of the time at this point. So, um, so anyway, they go into the castle. Um, they actually they decide to go in through the back door. They decide to explore instead of going in the front door like they normally do, which leads straight to if uh, the if you find the right series of secret doors, it leads you straight to the tower where the heart is. And so they, they by accident, kind of went straight to the heart. Uh, and so they're like, <laughs> fine, we'll deal with this, right? And they dealt with that. And then they decided to cross the bridge and go over to the other tower on their way down to, okay, now let's go straight to the, let's get to the catacombs. Let's look for what we're looking for. Let's, let's move on. Let's get this thing done. Uh, and Strahd's there in the castle. Strahd is in Sergei's tomb. That's okay. well, that's the final encounter. I had him show up. Uh, I was going to say, you could, you could have Strahd yeah. a bunch of times. I, I, I was going to have him start showing up and try to do, you know, try to, I, I had him try to charm a couple people, but it didn't work. I was going to have him show up on like round three or four of the fight with the heart. Uh, yeah, but, like, but the heart is pretty vital for him. Yeah, but it was over by the time he showed up. So yeah. I had him try to charm a few people. It didn't work. And then he, then he fled. Um, or didn't flee, but he's casually walked away and then they chased after him because he went down the stairwell. So they chase after him and he was gone because, of course, as soon as he's out of sight, he just turns into mist and seeps through the walls or whatever. Um, so anyway, so uh, they went down the other the other tower and ran into the witches um, that are there. And that's where I decided because uh, one of the things that the, that the story deals with is uh, – all this time, from the beginning, Strahd uses his agents to try to steal things from the party that he can use as a scrying focus. 
and 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 I found that to be really fun. Like every now and then they'd they'd go to a place and then they'd leave, and they'd suddenly realize, oh wait, my pipe is gone, or somebody stole my what my book or whatever. Right? I, the very first time they ever met Strahd, he was actually uh, disguised as Van Richten. It was actually before they ever met Van Richten. This was their first exposure to both Van Richten and Strahd, um, and and. Van Richten is like, oh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm hunting this vampire. I've been studying him for years or whatever. Oh, that's an interesting book you have there. Uh, I use the, the Book of Shadows from, from a, a Sly Flourish uh, adventure that I ran. Um, I don't remember what book that was from either, but, um, I, but they picked it up and I made it into like this journal of somebody who once defeated Strahd and escaped, right? Uh, an ancestor of Van Richten's. Uh, and he's like, oh, well, I'd, I'd, I'd love to study that. I will trade you my journal with all of my notes on how to defeat Strahd if you'll give me my ancestor's journal um, to, to keep on to and look at. Next time we meet, we'll, we'll trade back. No big deal, right? Except that, of course, it's Strahd. So he, he, the book is full of gibberish. It has nothing to do with how to defeat him. Uh, and now he stole this, this book, which belonged to them, and he can use as a scrying focus and whatever. So that, all that to say... When they got into the witch's area, they discovered that's the area where he was storing all of those things. And so all of their stuff that they had slowly been disappearing and they didn't, never really knew why. It never made sense to them. And how does Strahd know what's going on anyway or whatever? Suddenly it all makes sense, right? Oh, there's all of our stuff. And weird little vials that labeled with our names on it that has like a few strands of hair that the Vistani picked up when they slept in the camp or whatever. You know, all these little things. Um was there also stuff from like other people that they were that he was keeping tabs on and you know theirs? You know what? Sure, I don't know. They didn't ask. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know they were just freaked out. It's by like the... a serial killer keeping absolutely, absolutely, or absolutely. Uh, and so that was that was fun. And then they finally. Um, one of the players is like, "Well, I think if we go down these stairs, then we'll be in." The, like he has memorize the map without drawing anything pretty well. And he's like, I think if we go this way, then we'll be able to go there, 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 and then we'll be back in the catacombs. Uh, and so they ended up back in the catacombs. And it, oh, the Although it's worth noting, the other thing that I had the witches have in sort of like classic hag style, even though they're not hags, you know, I had one of them um, have a missing eye. And she had replaced the missing eye with one of the eyes of Galore, the, the stone from... Um, Dragon, Dragon Heist, Heist and, I, and I stole an idea from the Alexandrian remix, and I had it had the stone have two of its eyes missing, and the more eyes it had, the more power it gained. And when it had all three of its eyes, it could actually erase the memory, uh, one memory of of anything from existence. Nobody would remember it except for you and the stone, which is how Never Ember was able to use it to hide the the vault, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the third eye was in Barovia this whole time. Oh, neat. Uh, it had after Never Ember used it, somebody had had one of his agents or whatever had been taken by the mist, and it, and it was, has been in Barovia. So they found the last eye, and and like Mike, who's like, what happens when they? Why does this character want this artifact, and what do they plan to do with it? Like I've had a character who for you know months now has been really interested in finding this third eye. <laughs> but I have no idea what it is that she wants the world to forget, you know. Uh, and so it'll be really interesting. And she ha- she hasn't used it yet, but I'll be really interested to see what she does with it. I have a few suspicions, um, but we'll see because I don't know where all that's going to go. Uh, so so anyway, they've gone through a bunch of the castle. They've skipped a whole bunch of the castle, and I think because they're not looking at the castle as a fun and interesting place to explore. 
um, they're, they're like they have a task, and so they're not going to complete a lot of the task. They're never going to find the mechanical straw. They're never going to find the skull of Argonvalsholt uh, because they are in the catacombs now, um, and and they're just going to and, and that's where Strahd ultimately is. So if they take the wrong turn down down a, a, a corner or something, they're going to aggro the final encounter, which is fine. They can, I mean, they can totally handle it. I I made a a homebrew version of Strahd that's a little tougher because they're stronger and higher level and I wanted it, wanted it to be a bit more of a challenge. I customized the spells and I did all that kind of stuff. Um, so, so yeah, anyway. Uh, they also, they, they use the Skyrite spell to throw a big symbol up in the up in the air because they've been telling all of their allies when, it, when the time comes, we'll throw a symbol in the sky over the castle. They never told them what it was going to be. But, but we'll throw something in the sky over the castle. You'll, you'll recognize it. That's when you come. So during the final encounter, whenever it is uh, or whatever happens, that's when I'll have, you know, I'll have uh, Esmeralda show, show up there or some of the, you know, maybe Order of the Feather folks and some of the other folks that they've, that they've met along the way. It'll be a nice sort of conclusion, you know, everybody comes to the rescue. Well, I, I, that is my, my Curse of Strahd game. Uh, I, I had my Descent into Avernus game, too, but we've been, we've been largely running around Elturel this whole time. And, and I've been, are, you, are you prepared uh, to beef up Strahd? I, I, when they, yeah, I already did. You did. And it's working? Well, I haven't, they haven't fought him yet. So. Okay. But I also, yeah, but I so. also customized his spell list. I took a lot of um, suggestions from um, the Monsters Know What They're Doing and Keith Amon. Sure. Uh, yeah. and, and said, okay, well, where are their weaknesses? Like what, what saves are they bad at that Strahd would absolutely know? At this point, with his intelligence and the amount of time he spent studying them, he knows what spells are going to work on who. And then I customize his spell list to be like, okay, well, I got a player who's got a w- real weak charisma save. Where are some good charisma spells I can give Strahd? And, and I've got sure. and I've got one um, that I think I might have taken from a Cobalt Press product that actually would will uh, at least temporarily protect him from from sunlight. So when mm. the, the player comes in with the holy symbol, he'll be shrouded in, yeah, in darkness and protected. I forget. What is that? I forget what the name of it is now, but um, that's cool. Yeah, that's a good one. So, so I mean, yeah, so- I'll, have to, I'll have to make sure to cast it ahead of time, and because if they try to, if he tries to cast it when they get there, then it'll be counterspelled. But right, yeah. So if I can offer two pieces of unsolicited advice, uh, one: improved invisibility is your friend. Mm. Um, that Strahd with improved invisibility means he cannot be countered because they can't see him to counter a spell. Ah. Um, and it means that if he's in sunlight, he doesn't have disadvantage because it, it will cancel out his disadvantage. Right. So yeah, Strahd with improved invis is really, is really strong. Yeah. I don't remember if I um, gave it to him or not, but yeah. Yeah. He has it in his default stat block. Right. Um, the other, the thing I, so I just ran Strahd a couple weekends ago for our Halloween game. Mm-hmm. And they were only seventh level, but they still gave him a good what for. And the one thing I wish I had done was sort of a mythic-like phase where I, I would have turned him into a uh, monstrous bat, like from Bram Stoker's Dracula, mm-hmm. crazy, like seven-foot-tall walking bat thing, mm-hmm. uh, surrounded by the equivalent of a spirit guardians. That's, that's bat swarms. That's bat swarms, yeah. So they're just getting shredded by bats and it's not counterable. It does a bunch of damage. It can obscure the area so they can't really see them. And that causes all kinds of problems too. Um, it's just a, you know, for strong characters, 
you know, you don't want him stuck in a corner with a bucket on his head. Right. You know, kick me sign on his head. Well, and, and, yeah. and that's ultimately like I like for narrative reasons. I like the location of him being encountered in the tomb. Sure. But there's not a lot of maneuverable space in it. I, like, I don't want him to escape. That's not for him, though, because he can, like, crawl on the ceiling and he can, you know, fly around the trips, you know. So he's got more mobility than they do. That's true. Um, yeah, spider climb in particular. The other thing is, like, if he's got his brides with him, you got three other vampires you can throw at them at right. the same time. And are they, and are they full that, vampires or are they spawn? They're spawn, but you can, you can beef them up. Yeah, give, give them a good – add some necrotic, you know, necrotic damage to their slam attacks and they're really strong. Right. Because the vampire spawn at this point are, are pushovers for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, but it's more about the obstacle of having them as part of the battle yeah. than it is about expecting them to well, really and, do, and that's, do a damage. Part, right? of, part of that is what worked really well, actually, in the Eldrek fight is that he Eldrek was there with his wolves and they all came from different tunnels. So the party couldn't focus their attention in one area, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. What, what level are they? They are by the time they get to Strahd, I think they're twelve. Yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be hard to challenge. Well, um, I, I think so I, yeah, I think I, I pumped Strahd up to like a CR. I don't know, eighteen, twenty. I know, but twelves yeah. do weird. Stuff, they do, man. They do. Um, yeah. So the other thing is like you can you can give them more. You give them you know there's ways to beef up vampire spawn. You can keep like their AC and their hit points low, or at the same level so that they're not they're they're surmountable. But if you if you add on a bunch of like you know, 10 points in necrotic damage per hit and they give them maybe a third attack, you know, they'll do a bunch there. You could have them um, uh, move without provoking, which is like vampire speed. They can sort of zip from place to yeah. place. Um, so there's there's things that you could do. And and I think I even took, I gave each of them a stat block, an NPC stat block, so that like there was, one was a vampire spawn mage, one was a vampire spawn assassin, and one was like a vampire spawn veteran. And so they hit harder. They could backstab and right. do boatloads of poison damage. And then the spellcaster could be an alternative counterspeller to Strahd. So now you got two two counterspellers in the battle. Could could yeah. So there's. Well, I already have. But, well, for a while I had two counterspellers in the party as well. And so that was yeah, we, so where we did the counterspell, was, counterspell, counterspell. Yeah. You know, so. I heard a good house rule that some one of my players recommended, which is anytime somebody counterspells a counterspell, it, it triggers wild a magic. wild magic. Yeah, I saw that on Facebook yeah. actually. Yeah. Yeah, that was a, that's a cool. That's a I, cool actually, idea. I actually floated the idea to, to my players, and, um, and they said no because we're counterspelling counterspells all the time. They, well, they, they were somewhat. <laughs> of, well, they were counterspelling counterspells when they had a an NPC in the party that could do it. Casimir was counterspelling yeah. counterspells for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the whole counterspell thing is as long as you have more casters than they do, you'll win. Right, right. But, but you eat up a lot of spell slots. So. <laughs> yeah, but who cares about spell slots on NPCs? Right, no, exactly. <laughs> you know? no, well, that's what I'm saying, right? right? Yeah, yeah. that'd be the other, I guess another good thing is make sure they're worn down before they face Strahd. Well, so right. they, they, well all of know. this has happened before <laughs> they face Strahd, so. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is, hasn't been a ton of fighting, but enough that hopefully it's not. And and I don't know how much they'll explore the catacombs. I mean, there might be some some wearing down going on there. Yeah, sure, cool stuff. All right, so that's uh, my now half hour. Apparently, this is an hour and a half long show now, <laughs> where we each talk. For well, half we an never hour. we never shut up. So well, <laughs> yeah, but usually we're we would each go fifteen minutes and then go over five or ten. But we've clearly given up on that you know <laughs> in recent week, months so maybe it's just the the age of pandemic and we're all just desperate to talk to people and have human interaction <laughs> so 
Yeah. All right. But I'm going to go ahead and call the episode over at that point. I didn't get to talk about my descent into Avernus game and the way I've used the Helterel supplement to add more things to do in Helterel. Um, and and the lack of detail on how and what happens when they get down out of the city, like getting down on the chains was was a thing we I had to sort of figure out as, as they went. Um, but we made it work. And although I will say this, the Beetle and Grimm version of... Um, Descent into Avernus has just a one page like here's taunts from the red caps when they get the Fort Knucklebone. <laughs> uh, and and I used it, it almost reads like a script where you stop every now and then oh, and let the players awesome. participate. Uh, and, and I when I first saw it, I'm like, well, this is kind of silly and the kind of thing somebody would write a blog post about or whatever, but it worked really well. And the players love being mocked by the whole thing, and then they get to the end of being mocked, and all these clues and hints that aren't really clues. It like, uh, well, here's a here's a hint. Uh, it it the the password sounds like the color blue. Which, of course, doesn't make any sense. And, and at the end, you go through all of it, and they're making all these guesses, and you get to the end of the whole thing. And then one of the other red caps shows up and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We don't have a password. Come on in. Yeah. <laughs> so right. um, it, it, that, it went really well. They had a blast with it, and that's where I stopped for the, the last session. So, um, awesome. yeah. So here we are. And then this week, I get to in, uh, introduce my Curse of Strahd group because we have a player who's going to be gone. Uh, so we're going to get to play Torg for the first time since I joined this group. So that'll be fun. Um, I look forward to, to getting into that and, and hoping that they that they like it as much as I do so I, we can get it in more often. But that's the end of the episode. Uh, Mike's got to go do a thing, I guess. Um, yep. So, so very busy. Uh, he's he's very important. He has all kinds of scheduled meetings at nine thirty at night. Yep. Uh, regimented, so, regimented schedule. So we're gonna go ahead and let him go. We're gonna call this the end of the episode. Um, I don't know. Email the Tome Show at gmail.com Find me on Twitter. I'm Squatch. Sam is DM Samuel. Mike is at Sly Flourish. I guess that's us. So uh, that's the end of the episode. So say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. guys.